Good morning, church. We've been in this series on strongholds, and we're going to continue that today. Remember, our theme for the whole year is follow me. And one of this section is some of the things that really kind of hold us back from following Jesus the way that uh, we should or the way that we want to. And so we're talking about strongholds. Uh, uh, um, I'm reminded that, Jeremy... uh, Our app is on there on the phone. You can get our app. It's got sermon notes on there. And so if you don't want to listen to me, just go there and read the notes. And you'll get done a whole lot quicker, I'm sure. And uh, then drink a cup of coffee. Maybe you'll stay awake. I really don't mind you sleeping in my sermon. I just like to start awake. Okay? Maybe we'll get going that way. All right? Uh, It's really good to see everybody. Somebody asked me yesterday... uh, uh, what I was preaching on, and I said, well, this week it's on fear, and I am scared to death. I don't know what to say. <laughs> so that's not a good start, right? But uh, before we get into that particular stronghold, or that actually a symptom of strongholds, is I want to kind of go back and remind us from the very beginning, first sermon we had on strongholds, and look at this verse in the Second Corinthians, and let's talk about what a stronghold really is. Uh, in Second Corinthians, in chapter ten, uh, we uh, we find uh, this idea of strongholds. In verse uh, verse four is or verse three, we're going to uh, take a look at that right now. He says here, "For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does." By the way, the first thing you get the idea is that we are in a war. Got it? We're in warfare. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now, for a description of some weapons, you know, you can go over to Ephesians, get the whole armor of God thing, right? You get the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, all those things. So it says, on the contrary... On the contrary, our weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's good news, right? So there's divine power to demolish these strongholds that are in our life. Now we demolish, now he's going to tell what they are. Here's what we demolish. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive... Remember, it's warfare. We take captive some things. Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So a stronghold is an incorrect thinking pattern that's molded itself into our way of thinking. It's kind of become our default. And these strongholds have the capability of affecting our feelings, uh, our reactions to respond in certain situations in life. And they play a large part in keeping us held in bondage and not experiencing spiritual freedom. So let's think about that for a minute. A stronghold is an argument that we believe that's not true. Uh, now we're going to deal with some that are typically related to fear today, but they come out in a variety of ways. A uh, uh, if you were, if you were put it, if it was put in your mind um, that uh, you can never, uh, you had to live perfect to be right with God, and you can't live perfect, 
but that legalistic mindset is there, guess what? There's a stronghold that will keep you, always keep you from experiencing assurance and grace and forgiveness, and it, I mean, it'll eat you alive. And you'll be miserable, and you won't have the assurance of eternal life. That's one of the greatest strongholds that Satan uses is legalism. And so if you fall into that belief and that's your default, the problem with that thing is uh, all of a sudden you've got to have something to demolish that. And what's going to demolish it, he tells us, is the Word of God. When you discover what the Word says about your sin, instead of saying what you say or Satan says about your sin, all of a sudden it makes all the difference in the world. But So when we have a faulty thinking pattern that's lodged in here over times or years or periods of uh, uh, over and over again, it's hard to break that. And you can't break it by willpower. You've got to break it by God power. And that's where you're going to find in God's Word, He's going to give you what you need to demolish this argument that you've believed in your mind. So that's kind of the idea. Strongholds are built upon deception and they're built upon error. This is why false teaching is such a, uh, uh, such a problem in the New Testament and still, by the way, a problem for us today. Because if you do not recognize those, they will put false uh, uh, expectations in your mind about what ought to happen in life. Let me give you one in our culture. It's very, very simple. God wants me to be happy. Now, if you do not think that that particular type of thinking has captured our, uh, the church along with our culture, that has become a stronghold for people who, to give them reason to make bad decisions and somehow or another still think that that's an okay thing with God. That, that argument's got to be demolished, and it's going to be demolished by the very words of God. Now, now joy, that's a whole other thing. But the idea that somehow or another God is a big vending machine dispensing happiness at when I push the right button by prayer or whatever is a false concept in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's some of the more difficult times in life that builds our faith the most. So those, that's kind of, kind of, just kind of remind us about what strongholds really are. Because when we talk about guilt and shame, those things we've already dealt with, and, and fear or greed or other things, those are, uh, those are the emotions or those are the, the end result of believing something false. Those aren't necessarily bad, but they become bad when there's a bad narrative attached with them. Okay, uh, that's why it's so important to break these. We have to have something happen inside our mind. Now, in Romans chapter uh, 12, remember... Remember the book of Romans. The Rome, book of Romans just expands the gospel and explains it more in depthly. One sixteen, the God's power to save. Verse seventeen, the gospel reveals about how God is righteous. Uh, 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 One eighteen through three twenty, everybody's condemned, Jew, Gentile, everybody alike. Three twenty one through five twenty one, we're all justified by faith, like Abraham and like David. It's all the same. It's all about the gospel. And that gives us access to God and good things happen. And, and now we're, not gonna, we're no longer going to serve uh, the old man because don't you remember? You were baptized. You said, I'm, I'm leaving the dead man and I'm going to be a slave to, to God and, and not a slave to the old man. And you know, So then you get later in chapter 7, you have the experience of, I want to do what I don't want to do. And remember Paul goes through that struggle. Eight, hey, but I don't have to worry about it. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. you got all that great chapter of eight. 
And nine, God is God. He's going to mold us and do with us what He wants to through nine and ten and eleven. And in chapter twelve, He gets the application of the gospel. And in it, He starts out this chapter twelve by saying that He wants you to remember something. He says, in view of God's mercies. Remember those old uh, toys, the viewfinder? You put that little circle thing in there and you click it and everything's like bright colors, you know, and you could see everything. You know, so he says, basically, put your viewfinder on. In view, when you, if you can go back and look in the Bible at all the great times God was merciful. In view of God's mercies, plural. In view of that, when you see what he's done, then present, present your bodies a certain way. See, don't be conformed to the world, but you be transformed, changed. And you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And this, is, this is, pleases God. This is the will of God. And if you really want to know further what the will of God is for your life, you've got to have a renewed mind. You do this by renewing your mind. And then you're able to know what God's will is, His perfect and pleasing will. You're able to make better decisions when you have a renewed mind. Our biggest problem is between our ears. It's because we believe some of the things the culture or Satan says. And that'll wake you up right there. I don't know if I did that or not, but uh, that's better than coffee, isn't it? You just need a glitch every now and then like that. But it's this renewed mind of how we think. This is the difficult part. We have to retrain how we think because how we thought in the past didn't work out too well for us. So this renewed mind means feeding on God's Word, feeding on God's spiritual direction, following God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and guides us, and then surrounding yourself with God's people who can help push you in the right direction. So, but we have to have this renewal of the mind or we'll never break a stronghold no matter what it is. We have to change our thinking. And that's the hard thing to change. Because you see, our thinking typically always goes to what pleases us, what satisfies us. Well, what satisfies me is not always what satisfies God. And therein becomes the challenge. For me to get what I want in harmony with what God wants me doing. That's the real challenge. So we have to have this renewing of our mind. And that means spending time in the Word. And I know it sounds so simple. You remember the old song. Take time to be holy. Speak off with your Lord. Spend much time in secret. And feed on His Word. I've been challenging our Ephesians class just to start, just to read that book a couple of times a week before we get into class and talk about it. And I, can't, I can't tell you how many of that class, how many of you have come up and said, Mike, what a blessing that's been. Just, I've been. I'm reading it now, I'm reading it every day. And I'm just discovering more and more things out here. There's something powerful about putting the Word of God in your mind, in your heart. That's why we need to memorize the Word of God. Not verses, memorize paragraphs that give you a context. See what God says. Put that in your mind and let that be all of a sudden the basis for which you make decisions. Then all of a sudden you're going to make better decisions about life. The weapons are, are the weapon is the Word of God that we use. The worship of God. There's something about 
uh, for me anyway, I, 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 and I think it's true for all of us, there's something about worship that's powerful to the heart and mind of a person. And so whether it's uh, sticking your earbuds in during the day and listening to music all the time or, or uh, it's playing it at your house, on the radio, whatever, putting spiritual-minded things in your mind over and over again is a powerful influence. Well, let's, let's kind of get on now to the fear side of things. He says here that we, uh, one of the things I mentioned first here is that we fear that we don't matter. This is one of the first fears. I'm not, there's a ton of fear passages in the Bible. I mean, how many times he said, do not be afraid, right? And the reason he says that is because he knows it's our tendency. But now fear by itself is not necessarily something that's wrong. But it's when that fear is allowed to be built on a bad argument that doesn't come from the Word of God that it becomes a stronghold and, and holds us back from becoming what God wants us. And one of these ideas is the fear that we don't matter. In Matthew chapter uh, uh, 10, verse 31, let's just take a little, little gander there at this. In Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is talking about some... Actually, he does talk about even fear here in verse 28. He says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then he says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of the Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of us have a lot less numbers than others. But what doesn't turn gray turns loose, right? So they're all numbered. Then he says this statement. So don't be afraid. Why? Why does he say that in the middle of this? Because you are worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. He's watching over them. He knows every hair on your head. But he says something about you. You are valuable. You matter in life. And the lie that so many people buy in the kingdom of God uh, because of, of, of lack of confidence or, or poor self-image, they don't need a better self-image, they need a better God image. They need to see themselves as God sees them. But this idea that I don't matter, I don't have anything to offer, you know, and I've heard it said by you know, Mike, I just don't have, uh, I just don't have a talent or ability. Wait a minute, I thought God said I've got a verse that says everybody in the body of Christ is valuable and important. So when you tell me you're not, you're violating the word of God. And now you're saying you just gave me one more thing to feel bad about, Mike. I don't know. <laughs> no, I want you to understand. Look, you are valuable. And you're, the, you're to be used, and you, you have talents and abilities, and God creates opportunities for you to be used in the kingdom. But if you buy the lie from Satan, if you buy the lie from other people that you're no good, if your mom and daddy told you all your life you're sorry and you're not going to amount to anything, and you believe that lie about yourself, all of a sudden you've got to demolish that argument that's in your mind and put in the Word of God that says you are valuable, you are special to the kingdom of God. 
And you need to know that you are, not because of anything you have, but because God made you that way. You want to know the value of something? Look at the price paid for it. What was the price paid for you? Jesus Christ. That's right, Kurt. Jesus was paid for you. That's how valuable you are. So don't buy the lie that I don't matter in life. I can't make a difference. I'm not talented. I don't have other people's gifts. I don't have other people's abilities. I don't have to, I can't do what they do. Kind of like that old uh, sailor and his girlfriend sitting on the bench, you know. And he said, honey, he said, if I was an octopus, I would, I would hug you with every tentacle I had like you've never been hugged before. And she said, well, come on. So you're not using what you got. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I should have gave that joke to Trent, shouldn't I? That's a Trent joke. That's a Trent joke. We don't use what we have. If we believe, we're not valuable. So bust up that fear. Psalm 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So Daniel Ritchie was born without arms. He learned to do everything with his feet. But every place he went, kids and people would make fun of him. The stairs would come. He, he, he began to hate the world and began to hate himself. Even at one particular restaurant they were eating in, him and his family, they were asked to leave because him eating with his feet was so disgusting to the other people in the restaurant. Well, he was down and didn't think he had any purpose in life. And a classmate of his invited him to a meeting where someone was teaching and preaching the gospel. And he said he heard this verse out of Psalm 139. And he thought all of a sudden, really, am I fearfully and wonderfully made? And God can use me? And when he heard the story of Jesus and how much he was loved, he, was, he, he, he came to Christ. And he finally he said, now I finally find purpose. So then he became someone who started speaking and encouraging and inspiring other people because he had found purpose in his life. And he says this, he uses his empty sleeves to point people to Jesus. I love that. Now you and I are valuable and can be used. Another fear that gets everybody a lot is the fear that we are not forgiven. You know, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus has just gotten out of the boat, and uh, some men bring to him a paralytic laying on a mat. And Jesus saw their faith, and he says to the paralytic, says, Take heart, son, your sins are, what? Forgiven. And then, of course, some of the teachers of the law, they're like, he's blaspheming, and Jesus knows their thoughts, so he goes and then heals the man. He shows who, who really is in control of the world. But it should have been great, the greatest news of all. should have been accepted from the very beginning. The good news is, I am what? Forgiven. Say that phrase with me. I am forgiven. One more time. I am forgiven. Now you've got to believe it. Here's the problem. A lot of times we become Christians 
and and uh, 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 and we learn real quick, right, that baptism doesn't drown the devil. So when we get out, we're fired up for a little while, but then all of a sudden some old sin creeps back in. And if we keep living under that old law of sin and death, we think every time I sin, I die. i got to say a prayer and get back right with God again. And I get in that legalistic mentality, and I'm miserable. And miserable people make sorry evangelists. I mean, what are you going to say? Look, I don't know your loss. Why don't you come over here? You might, might, might make it if you're with me anyway. You know, right? That's no good news. No, because they forget when Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. No means no. There is no condemnation. But we're not under the law of the sin and death. We're under the law of the spirit of life. And so as we walk in the light, remember it's about direction, not perfection. As we walk in the light, then He keeps on cleansing us from our sins. And we need to be able to say with confidence in Jesus, not ourselves, I am forgiven. Because Satan loves to take advantage of that lie and put that argument in your mind that, boy, if you really only knew inside my heart and mind, I just don't know. God can't just keep forgiving me. I go to him so many times over the same old sin. How could he keep forgiving me? Are you kidding me? He paid the price with his son. You think he's going to give up on you very easily? His grace is more than enough. I don't work in order to be saved. I work because I am saved. But boy, people, when they fail to understand they're forgiven, then that fear of not being forgiven paralyzes them in the kingdom of God. Then there's this one. I I thought of this one. I didn't know whether to put this one in or not. But I just simply said fear for our kids. And I'm going to Luke 8 in this one. I want you to think about this because, you see, here's what happens. Concern, when not handled properly, turns to worry. And then when worry lingers very long, it turns to fear. Got it? And when we're trying to raise our kids... And by the way, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you don't catch that class, catch that class uh, uh, of the video. Which, by the way, they did a great job on the video, right? I told them I wanted one more cloud up there. I wanted one more cloud above uh, their head that said, uh, maybe we should ask Phil to teach this class. But they didn't, they didn't let me influence the video. So, uh, but uh, uh, but but you know, I mean, there's there's this fear we have with our, our children. Now, the Bible clearly states some principles that when we place the Word of God and the Gospel in their hearts, there's some things that happen that gives them a place to come back to. And you like, I remember if one guy asked me, said, my, my kid didn't want to come to class. Should I make him come to church? Well, yeah, you should make him come to church. What do you mean? Yes, make him go to church. Well, I don't know. I don't want to turn, I don't want to, I don't want him to get a bad taste in his mouth. Are you kidding me? What's he going to get out in the world? No, he's under your control. Make him go to church. Why? Because you keep exposing him to the Word of God deep in his heart and in his mind, and he's got a place to come back to if he does go off the, off the road. 
I am so grateful my dad drug me. To, I had a drug problem. He drug me to church on Sunday. He drug me to church on Wednesday. Every gospel meeting we went to. And he wasn't even a Christian, but we went all the time. And I, that habit of going never left me, even though I was out in the world in a terrible way. And I, I experienced with all the things that a lot of you have experienced with, the drugs, the alcohol, the immorality, all those things existed in my life, yet I never quit going to church. So anytime someone says, well, my, you can't live like that and keep going to church. Oh, yeah, you can. I did that a long time. Yeah, you can do that. But the advantage of always being going, kept having access to spiritual-minded people who influenced my life. And I had something to come back to because of those little Bible class teachers when I was that high, putting a memory verse in my mind or a song in my heart. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Deepening those things in your, the life of your child is so important. But then, later on, you've got to have confidence in those things. The jury stays out a long time on your kids. Now, some of you are like, mine's been out years, Mike. Yeah. Will worry bring it out? No. Will fear fix it? No. What will bring you peace in the kingdom? It's faith in God and the word that's been sown in their heart and their life. I tell you, I'm tired about hearing about how bad the generation is. I've met a lot of great young people with great faith for this next generation. But sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in all the negative stuff. In Luke chapter 8, verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, remember Josh has come to Jesus, his daughter's sick. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Josh, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. What terrible news for someone to give me if someone said, Mike, Kristen is dead. Some of you have experienced that already. Heartbreaking, isn't it? For someone to lose their child. Hearing this, Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And she'll be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, the people are wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. They laughed at the creator of the universe. They didn't know. Knowing that she was dead. They laughed at him. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. He just told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. 
I can't imagine what it must have felt like for that mother and that father that day. Now, the fact of the matter is that child's going to die some other time in life, right? So the greatest lesson there was not that she is alive. It's who made her alive. And having faith in that one man, more than a man, Jesus Christ, have faith in him for your children. You see, our kids are going to mess up in life. They'll break your heart pretty quick. That's why I always try to tell parents. They say, Mike, what's your parental advice? Uh, Expose your kids to great adults. Because there'll be a time when they don't come to you. But they need somebody to come to. You know, my, mine come to town. They always want to go visit. They always going to go visit Missy, or they they always want to go visit other, other adults, like Gary and Pam or Stacy. I mean, there's there's great adults in their life that I've been so glad that they've had because I know they've been to them when they didn't come to me. Now I don't know why, because I always gave them such great advice, but <laughs> somehow or another it didn't sink in. Expose your kids to great adults. That's why having them hooked into this church family is such a powerful thing. So you say, well, Mike, you know, I, 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 I want them here. I've had kids. When I did youth ministry, there were kids that come because of youth ministry. But, but the greatest thing about that wasn't the youth ministry itself. While that was exciting and good, it was the fact that those kids were getting exposed to even greater adults around them. Expose your kids to great adults. And it will make a difference. And then keep the faith in the seed that is sown. Don't be scared. Be faithful. And trust in Jesus. Another fear is the fear that we can't meet the overwhelming challenge. Look here in Matthew chapter 14. You know, this is a section here where, where Jesus uh, walks on the water. I always, always liked this story. Uh, I've always wondered uh, why, you know, why Peter gets the bad rap sometimes for sinking. And I'm thinking, well, really, the guys that had no faith are the guys that stayed in the boat, you know, right? Nobody says anything about them. But, but... Uh, Back in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. By the way, you see that? They weren't out there by their decision. They're out there by his. Sometimes you get in situations you might think it's your fault. Actually, they're out there because of following Jesus' instruction. Uh, and after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountain himself to pray. And the evening came, he, and he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified or they were afraid. They're scared. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So these disciples are crying out in fear. They're seeing a ghost. That doesn't sound out of the ordinary to me. If I thought I saw a ghost, be crying out in fear. And 
But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid, there that fear is again. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Then he climbed in the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, think about this for a minute. This looked like an overwhelming situation. Remember the other time they were in the boat earlier and Jesus was asleep in the stern of it? He said he had his head on a cushion. He, he planned it. He laid down there. He went to sleep. And the storm came up. Remember that when they went in there that time? They said uh, their fear and their logic got the best of them. And they said... Don't you care? I always thought that was interesting. Don't you care? You're saying that to the creator? Don't you care? And they said, don't you care? We're going to die here? He gets up and he doesn't rebuke them as much as he rebukes the wind and the waves. And gives them peace and then brings them along teaching them about there's no need to fear. Sometimes the impossible situations look like we're overwhelmed. It just looks like there's no way out. This debt's too high. The diagnosis was too bad. The, the situation with my kids is overwhelming. Uh, there's just no way out. I can't live like this. And what looks like something that's an impossibility is not an impossibility with God. He's still the God that walks on water and causes people to see amazing things and still gives you the faith to believe you can accomplish things that the world thinks is impossible. We need more water walkers. People who are willing to step out on situations by faith that look like it's impossible. Yet we know with God... All things are possible. You see what happened with them? The immediate caused them to lose focus on Jesus and his word. You know, the first thing he did was speak to them. He gave them a word. Which, by the way, that's what you have to have is the word from Jesus to correct the wrong thinking. To get you refocused. Because they let the immediate situation get between them and their faith in Jesus. And that can become a stronghold if that's how you practice your faith. Well, one more here. Fear of dying. If I would just go ahead and deal with this and since everybody has it, right? In Hebrews chapter 2, this was an interesting verse, and then uh, and, uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Jace was speaking on the, he used this verse Wednesday night. It's, by the way, if you haven't been here on Wednesday night, I'll come to the peak of the week. Jace has been doing some great lessons. I'm telling you, really good. And, uh, but uh, he reminded me of this verse in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, and, uh, and, I, and I, I don't know that I just hadn't really noticed what it said that much before or what, but he says uh, uh, here in verse 14, since the children uh, uh, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death 
he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And, here's what happens, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He wants to free those who all their life they've been held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, we do everything in the world to try to stay alive, don't we? I mean, we, we, I got news. You just don't die healthy. Uh, I mean, something's going to happen to your body, and it's gonna, it, you're going to die. Now, we try to make it like you're not dead because we put you in the box, and people walk down and look at you, and they say, Don't he look what? Don't he look good? Well, no, he looks dead. <laughs> if, if dead's good, then he's, he's, he's made it, you know? We try to deny death all around us. We really do. And we have this fear of it. And, and sometimes the older we get, the more we fear it. And then I think the older than that we get, we welcome it later on, right? As our faith grows. Because, you know, when you're young, you, you're young, you have a, a, a headache or a nod or whatever, you know, and uh, uh, then you just had a headache. But when you, uh, all of a sudden, you start reaching and realize there's, uh, excuse me, you're not immortal, then you don't have a knot, you have a brain tumor. Because you will go right to the Internet and diagnose yourself and read all the things and found 23 people that died of the same thing you have. Right? I mean, that's what we do. And then we get that fear that's in our heart and our mind, and all of a sudden we, we, get, we scare ourselves. You know, I, 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 have this, I have this knot on the back of my head. How many of you ever seen my knot? There you go. Look at it. Y'all wouldn't say a word to you. You said, he's got a knot back there. Anybody know something? Well, you know, it's just a, uh, it's just a, no, no, I just call it, a, I'm a knothead, but it's just a, just a, one of those little fatty deals there, right there, that the doctor said, I could take that out. A lot of people, Mike, you just, I can just cut that out for you. And if it bothers you, you know, a lot of people like to have it out because you know how it looks. I said, Doc, I don't have to see it. It don't bother me. So I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I, I like to go out of this world with everything. I came in with it, if possible. So I'm like, it'll be okay, you know. But every time I get a haircut, then I'll have somebody one day out here after Wednesday night, somebody said, uh, Mike, uh, have you had that checked? I said, what? They said, that knot? I said, what knot? <laughs> Their eyes got big. And I said, no, nah, that's been there 20 years. Don't worry about it. It's okay. But you know what? Wouldn't it be easy? So all of a sudden, I'm not saying don't get things checked out. Okay, look. But I'm just saying, it's so easy for something to get built up in our mind. We're afraid to die. How many diets are we on to stay healthy? Because I want to be in this broken down body three days longer when I'm in pain. Mm. I mean, I just got off a long airplane trip from India. Uh, and so, you know, what they do on the airplane is they tell you all the things, the safety things. They call, they use words like terminal and uh, final approach. I'm like, could you make this your next to final approach? Or they, they want to drop that oxygen mask down and have you put over it. And I'm like... What, you want me to? You want me to survive for the very last moments? I mean, I'm like, I'm not putting that thing on. I want to pass out, right? I mean, who wants to experience that, right? Come on. Now, 
spiritually, when we become a Christian, all of a sudden, it's not that all fears go away, but this fear no longer is a stronghold. Oh, we're, there are things that scare us, there's something, but they're not strongholds. We, don't, we, we're not, we know we're not here to stay here. This is not why we're created to exist here. We're created to be a light and salt in this old world, but we're all just preparing to live. Real life starts beyond death. And that's what we're created for, to be with God forever. His children, loved by Him, saved by Him, forgiven by Him, and to enjoy that forever family that we have. And we can't get there any other way except by dying. But you know what? That's okay. Because when you know dying's not the end, it's just the transition to something much, much better. Here's what happens. When we feed, if you feed your fears, your faith will weaken. And I should have put the word disappear. But if you feed your faith, your fears will weaken and eventually disappear. See, Hebrews chapter 10 says that we are not those who shrink back and destroy, but we are those who believe and are saved. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord's my shepherd. I will fear no evil. In Romans, I mean, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. We, as the kingdom of God, must be people of faith. And that's developed by spending time in the word of God. And strengthening us and maturing us and demolishing those old arguments that say you're not worth anything. You don't have any talents. Demolishing those old arguments that say you're not forgiven, that you're still in guilt, that you're still in shame. Demolishing all those old arguments that say you're going to walk around scared to death in life and you don't know what's going to happen. No, we, I, I don't care about the politics. I don't care about the rules of all the world. I pray for them only to, because it might give us a clear road to take the gospel somewhere, but that's it. You see, I'm not worried about all those things. I don't turn the TV on and panic because something's happening somewhere anymore. I don't, I'm not hiding water at the back of my house or digging holes for extra food because something happens out here. I'm not doing that because, look, there's something better beyond that. I'm coming out of the ground, and I'm going to be raised to live with God forever. That's what it's about. So don't let fear... Do not let fear be a stranglehold or a stronghold in your life any longer. You're a child of God. You're a conqueror, more than a conqueror. God has saved you and wants to use you to save others. Father, we love you. Please remove fear. Help help us not to give in to the lies the arguments of Satan and the culture and the environment around us. Help us to believe your word, to be sold out for your word and your son. Help us to follow the guidance of your spirit. I thank you, Father, for this church and how they helped me eliminate fear in my own life. 
for the encouragement of the brothers and sisters. And for those sitting in here that hadn't found their place yet, help them find it right here, Father. There's so much to be done for the kingdom. Thank you for breaking down strongholds by the power of your word and the power of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, if you have a need today, you can come while together we stand and sing.